So let's kick off the conversation. Then we have Vinod Madhavan, who's uh, head of group trade at Standard Bank. Vinod, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. As we discuss trade, it becomes really interesting to see how South Africa and Africa has certainly involved in whether the, the way we do things, the way we trade, the things we do trade. What are sort of the trends that you're sort of noticing? Thanks, Arabile, for having me. So some of the big trends is actually the fact that trade is global by definition. So any discussion on trade, especially now, cannot avoid but talk about what's happening between the U.S. and China. In a very strange way, it's actually an indication of a bigger trend, which is about localizing supply chains. And I wouldn't say reversing, but the two-decade trend of globalization slowing down. A lot of people look at this as negative, but we and I in particular actually think there's a positive in this. And the positive is that when US and China compete with each other and they reduce their trade with each other, it's an opportunity for us in Africa to do more trade with both US and China. Yeah. And I mean, it changes the relationships, right? We have to find new ways. But the global economy then slowing down in, in many ways. How does that then impact on things like trade? We have to find other ways, surely. So you're right. The the slowing down of global economies almost has a direct impact on trade. I mean, the very simple thing I use is if there is a slowdown in China, there is a lesser demand for soybeans and hence lesser soybean export. And the same thing applies for wine, same thing applies for flowers from Kenya, and the same thing applies for commodities. And that's a nice segue to talk about a second trend, which is the demand for goods in our markets being met by manufacturing in our markets. Rather than looking towards manufacturing in China, reducing the cost and hence increasing the demand. And that's what I mean by localization of supply chain. Using textiles, because fashion is a great, great, shall I say, leveler. You need to be close to the market to be able to produce the goods. So it's not just enough that you can produce the goods cheaper. You need to actually produce the right goods. And I think that is the opportunity. And all our markets to diversify our economy away from being single commodity exporters in some cases to actually getting into up the value chain, for lack of better words, manufacturing, tourism, healthcare, and so on and so forth. Are you finding that that's the reason you have things like the Africa Free Trade Agreement? That is because we're trying to move up the value chain and enhance each other. Certainly. But the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement actually is an idea whose time has come. So few, few, shall I say, build-ups to this. The first data point I would use is intra-Africa trade. The best estimate of that says that intra-Africa trade is 17%. That's one 7%. In other words, we do more trade with outside the continent to the tune of 83%. If you looked at similar regions, so if you looked at Asia, it's at 60%. You look at uh, Europe, it's over 60%. So there is so much of opportunity in increasing intra-Africa trade. And the reason it was not happening was because of logistics, tariffs, what I call the hardware. And that's what the African Free Trade Agreement or what I call the Continental African Free Trade Agreement is addressing. Reducing the cost of doing business with each other, reducing tariffs, easing infrastructure and improving the hardware of intra-Africa trade. Yeah. Are you finding that we, we're past the difficulties? We, we may sign it. We may put it into law, but are we actually ready for it? The way I would think of it is the intent beat the nations or beat the governments has been shown emphatically by the speed at which the 44 nations are ratifying. The most recent being Nigeria as the largest economy, right? So there is clear intent. Your question is actually, will the intent be backed by action, yes. by commitment? 
the way I would think of this is twofold. One is there's an element of inevitability, right? I mean, if global trade is slowing down, then we have to be able to do trade with ourselves, among ourselves, to kind of substitute for that. That's that kind of feeling of inevitability. The other one is slightly more philosophical, which is that the advent of the new technologies, the use of increasing use of mobile, the use of internet as a mechanism to find markets, aids this process. Let's say a decade back, if someone wanted to sell, let's say, flowers out of Kenya, it was easy to find a market in Europe because that was the established market. There were a group of third-party players who knew the source, who knew the suppliers, who knew the buyers, and they would do the connection. We and the global economy did not have the infrastructure and the technology that enabled easy finding of counterparties. Now, the disruptive technologies actually allow for that. So, who knows, maybe the person who is selling flowers out of Kenya might find buyers in South Africa and then execute the trade and hence increase. So, there's an element of inevitability, but also the use of disruptive technologies makes it easier. One of the big struggles has certainly been investment because you need the funding to sort of find a way to sell your goods, to, to enter these markets. In, in finding that investment, we find the likes of China certainly making a big play into Africa. Are we fearful about that relationship? There is public sentiment that does not look kindly at how China has been engaging our markets. Mm. Almost at times saying that it is pushing nations into a debt trap. And what I would say is that it's not unfounded. What we saw happening in Sri Lanka, in Pakistan, certainly lends credence to that thought. The way I would like to approach it, though, is that we need to go into this relationship as an equal, as a more informed person. If we did that, which is we went in knowing fully well why we are borrowing. So if you're borrowing to build infrastructure, we have to make sure that the assets we create will be productive. The other thing that's becoming very apparent is that Chinese have realized that they need to win the hearts and not just talk to the mind. And they have changed their approach to say, rather than being an export-led country, let us look towards increasing imports. So the Chinese have a very specific expo. They did the first expo in November last year, which is called the Chinese International Import Expo, focusing purely on buying from the rest of the world. And that is a master stroke because what they're saying is, we want to buy, please come to our come to Shanghai to sell your goods to us, other than commodities. So they're realizing that it's about other economy. And we as nations, we have to seize the opportunity. So it's being it's going to be held in November this year, again in Shanghai. We have to be there to show our products, all kinds of products, including tourism, to be able to sell it to China. Speaking of conferences and, and, and the like, of course, with Africa, the theme this year is shaping inclusive growth and shared futures in the fourth industrial revolution. How does digitization then sort of aid the process, particularly of trade, whether it be within Africa or the rest of the world? It's an excellent topic, frankly, for us to talk about. There are a few building blocks towards this. The first being trade. It has been empirically proven that trade helps generate employment in a nation. A few seconds to kind of show the causality. What trade does is it actually enables for usually in the SME sector for buyers and suppliers to actually find a counterparty and get the best price for that. As more and more of that happens, we know that almost 80 to 90 percent of employment is in the SME sector. So if the SME sector does more business, it means more employment. So that's one build up. The second one is that there is a gap in trade finance. The African Development Bank had done a piece of work to find out how much of trade finance requirements are not being met. So these are corporates going and knocking on the doors of banks and banks saying, sorry, I can't meet the need. 
the last survey was done, I think around three years or two years back, and it was $100 billion. And you can imagine the number of corporates who wouldn't even go there. So be it the World Economic Forum, be it the banking industry, and be it the private enterprise, we have a role to help address this gap in trade finance. Because if you address the gap in trade finance, you're doing more trade employment in SME. That coupled with the fact that there is a clear need and desire for what we call sustainable trade. So, for example, cocoa being exported from Ghana. The cocoa has been produced in a sustainable manner. And that's a question that needs to be answered by the regulators in Ghana, by the private enterprise in Ghana, and the banking industry more globally, globally, which leads towards sustainability and hence financial inclusion. So, in a very strange way, I'm not surprised that the topic is what you said. Yeah. Uh, and kind of, I haven't even touched upon how technology can actually help on not just building sustainable social value as well as economic and environmental value, but also in finding operational efficiency, reducing the cost of doing business, thereby making investments more productive. Yeah, and sustainable then for the for the long term, right? In the space of digitization, in the space of uh, a change sort of in the environment, you're finding new opportunities and new, uh, new mechanisms. You get things like Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies as a whole. How is that sort of playing into the space then? My view in the adoption of disruptive technology is less about cryptocurrencies, but more about the technologies that underline a cryptocurrency. So things like blockchain. Exactly. Yeah. I would like to think of this as, I call it the ABCDs of digitization. Mm. That's the use of artificial intelligence machine learning in kind of doing more trade. The use of blockchain to find a mechanism of reducing the risk of doing business. The use of cloud computing. And finally, the use of data analytics to increase your information. I'll give you just two examples. Uh, we have worked on leveraging blockchain so that we could do letters of credit on a blockchain. Now, letter of credit is a payment instrument that hasn't changed for almost 400 years. The first LC was issued, I don't know, something in 1560s. To actually believe that we can use blockchain now to completely change the way a letter of credit is issued is amazing. And we are working on that. We are working on using machine learning to ease the process of document checking and letters of credit. So the trick is to use disruptive technologies to increase the productivity, not substitute the productivity. Especially in our footprint where we are looking for growth, that has to be the option we pursue. We still have a, a massive need with regards to infrastructure. You know, we want to get into the ability to trade across borders, across lines, etc. And we'll have things, as you said, like the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. But developing that infrastructure, how do we get that right? How can we make sure that we actually take what we have and we can then shift it across? How do we develop the infrastructure better? So uh, the good news is one has come. I mean, the things have changed drastically in the last five to ten years. So be it the railways that go all the way from Cairo to Cape Town or the east to west kind of zones, be it the free movement of air traffic that allows for opening up our airports between the nations on Africa. There has been a lot of change on this. What we have to be pedantic about is, and we have to demand this of our nations, which is of, of the regulators and the governments, which is that the infrastructure that we build needs to be productive. Wasteful expenditure towards investment is the surest way to not just lose the momentum, but then lose the legitimacy for growth. And unfortunately, what this does is it becomes like a slippery slope. Once the global economy or the financial markets realize that the investments are being incorrectly deployed, it'll dry up further investments. 
And one should always realize that infrastructure investment is the start because once you lay a railway line, then you need schools because people will start living across the railway lines. Then you need schools there, you need infrastructure, you need sanitation there. So it is wrong to think of one infrastructure project as one investment. It is the catalyst for further investments. And the inability to ensure that the infrastructure investment is is productively done is, is, I think, critical for this. As you make note, it's certainly important that it's the capital for future infrastructure, as you note. I think that'll be a message, I think, to set across the African continent and hopefully they'll understand that a whole lot better. If you not, really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for it. I really think that there's a whole lot more within this conversation that can certainly move forward and hopefully moves beyond just a conversation. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks. Cheers.